Very good morning to you all. Um, so I suppose, yes, as Ben said, I'm Mark. I think I've met most of you before, but maybe a few if you not. So uh, as I say, good morning. Um, I had a conversation with my wife yesterday about the, the church that she grew up in. And she told me that in her church, there was both a sermonette, which is about 30 minutes long, and then you had the sermon. So you're, you're quite fortunate this morning. I've decided to go with the sermonette option, but... I might bring the sermon out if I, if I see anybody nodding off. But um, so, okay. I came across this phrase about walking in Joseph's sandals, and it just kind of struck to, um, struck a nerve with me. Um, and my hope is that we will understand how he would have experienced the amazing, but at times dangerous events that unfolded around him. And as it says, to walk in Joseph's sandals. Um, and just in case you're wondering, yes, this seems to be a kind of an ancient pair of sandals from the land of Israel. So um, there we go. Um, many of you might know I'm a, I'm a school teacher. I'm currently teaching a P7 class. And even at P7, I will quite often say to the, the pupils, look, you don't need to end your story with, um, say it's a creative writing piece, and they end the story with the end. And I'll say to them, look, you don't need to use the end because when we read your story, it was clear that it was the end because you had a final sentence, you know. And the kids, they look at you like, yeah, Mr. Gaston, yeah, great idea. You pick up their story at the end and it's got the end at the end. So, but the reason why I'm saying that is because in Matthew and Luke's account of these events, there's no the end or once upon a time. Um. As somebody else described it, Joseph was a man with real calluses on his hands, and some of our musicians might particularly be able to relate to that, those, those hard bits of skin. He, he was a real man, um, and I kind of was thinking as well, perhaps he even had a scar on his leg, um, which was gashed against a rock from that journey to Bethlehem. This was a, this was a real man with real scars, um, and perhaps gray hairs as well from the flight to Egypt. He, he would have actually experienced stress, and that would have, would have impacted impacted upon him. So I suppose just at the start, why look at Joseph? Very basic question, but there's no recorded words of Joseph in the Bible, as you probably know. Um, he exits the story after the losing Jesus in Jerusalem story. Um, and yet he is, uh, for me, as I've been looking at his life, he's such, he's such a role model um, in how he revered God in how he sought to show mercy to Mary. And he is a man who prized God above his reputation. And that, that's certainly a, a role model for me. And the angel as well uh, pronounces to him that he is, the, he is a son of David. Um, and I'll not go into it fully, but if you, you may recall that promise to David when David wanted to build, King David wanted to build a house for God, and David basically said to David, hold on, I'm going to bring a line that will continue forever. Through your line, there will be a descendant who will come. So David is, is basically sitting on a prophetic gold mine. He is a son of David, that he was the forever king was going to come through that line. So... Um, Yeah, it might have looked like he was insignificant, but really, um, there, there was a lot more going on. So, setting, setting the scene, um, again, probably details that for many of you will just be 
things that you've heard perhaps many times before. So G, uh, Joseph was a carpenter, although as some of you maybe know, the Greek word used is, it seems to be a tecton, which is more someone that is a builder, works with their hands. And wood was quite scarce and stone very prevalent in Israel. So he was likely maybe more of a stonemason than just a carpenter. Um, not that there's anything wrong with a carpenter, if anybody is among us. Um, perhaps he aged 17, although there's, there's debate about that. Could have been 16, maybe slightly older. We, we don't know exactly. Um, and the interesting thing about Joseph is he was very likely adding a section to his house to accommodate Mary. So he was engaged to Mary. He was very likely building a section onto his house in anticipation of getting married and perhaps children coming along as well. So it would have been a very public thing for Joseph, this engagement. Everybody would have seen him at work building this extra section onto the house. Um, and you've probably heard as well the engagement in these times. It was, it was a very serious thing. Um, it could only be annulled with a divorce as well. So Joseph and Mary... Uh, engaged. Joseph had probably paid the dowry to Mary's um, parents to compensate them for obviously Mary not being able to maybe work for the parents anymore. So dowry paid, very public. Um, he, was, he was in pretty deep in this engagement, let's just say. Mary, perhaps 14, again, debate around exact age that she was. But everyone in this small village of Nazareth would have known Mary and Joseph. Maybe you're from a small small town. Well, we, we kind of are all if we're from Bangor, but maybe you're from somewhere even smaller and you know what it's like, everybody knowing your business. Um, and so we have, as part of the setting in the scene as well, we have 400 years of prophetic silence and then things kick off majorly. Elizabeth and Zechariah have um, Angel Gabriel appears, tells them they will have this son who will be the forerunner, who will be called John. And Mary as well, as we probably all know, has the visit of Gabriel. And she's told that she will be with child and it will be through the Holy Spirit. And then Mary takes herself and goes to the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah for three months. And... I thought to myself as well, when Joseph was back in Nazareth, you know, there's no Facebook, there's no WhatsApp. He can't say to Mary, hey, how's it going? You keeping okay? He's there in Nazareth, three months of silence, very likely from Mary. And so I thought you maybe had this young, previously self-assured man, or very young man, actually, if he was maybe 16, 17, just maybe becoming a little bit less secure in himself. Where is his wife-to-be and, and what is happening? And so we've set the scene. Now we're going to actually just get into the Bible itself. Um, I've gone for basically including quite a large swathe to just get the real sweep of the story. I hope that's okay. Um, and so Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until they gave, uh, she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Moving into Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. Having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. I've titled this next little bit, The Divine Interruption. In verse 18, it says that Mary was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. She's away for three months. She comes back and it's, there's a little bit left, details unknown in the sense of, did Mary speak to Joseph? Did Mary's father, realizing something was going on, go and speak to Joseph's father? It's not quite clear. She was found to be with child. The, the precise details of how that happened are not clear. But the problem for Joseph, if he goes ahead, as you maybe know, if he marries, it will appear to be his baby and he will be humiliated. Um, if he chooses not to marry Mary, Mary is then disgraced. He's very publicly cut off the engagement. And so I thought through that kind of mental anguish that Joseph went through. Did Mary tell him her story? If so, did Joseph believe it? Did he think it was perhaps a Roman soldier, as some of the rumors which would go on through Jesus' lives apparently? Could it have been a Roman soldier in Mary? Did it happen while Mary was away? 
Could it have been someone in Nazareth? Is this how Mary got pregnant? Or could Joseph have thought through, could it have been a miracle birth? Was he aware of, well, he obviously was aware of Abraham and Sarah and the birth of Isaac, the birth of Samson. There's just this track record of these miracle babies throughout the Bible. And so was he just not quite sure where to turn? And so basically overnight, Joseph's reputation is at risk. He went from perhaps being one of the most respected young men in Nazareth to potentially someone who's fooled around outside of wedlock, which would have brought shame, not just to Mary and Joseph, but obviously the family connections as well. But the very interesting thing is he was preparing a merciful response despite the hurt and confusion he was uh, experiencing. And we hear that about how he was going to kind of quietly annul the engagement, if that was possible. And I kind of thought, would, would we be like that too in our lives? Will we be people who are always geared up towards mercy? And so it was a challenge for me. Um, and no doubt Joseph was maybe hurt by the comments and maybe the looks of some of his neighbors throughout his life. As I said about that slur about Jesus maybe being the child of a Roman soldier. There was these things that probably hung over Joseph and Mary in their lives. Um, and he would have had to, would have had to deal with that. But Joseph was obedient. He, as you very likely know, he received this, uh, this dream from an angel. It's quite interesting, Joseph, maybe growing up on stories of the Joseph, the Joseph of Egypt, who um, had encountered amazing dreams and had been blessed in that way and had, and had risen to prominence. So just wonder, was he maybe from a young boy, was he always so interested in these stories of these dreams? And was that possibly why God spoke to him through that way? I'm not exactly sure. But we read in verse 20, the angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid. And I thought to myself, how desperately we need to hear those words as well. Do not be afraid. And in verse 25, and it says, and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph was obedient. He followed what he was being told to do. And it comes back to this idea about Joseph being a role model. And for me, I, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you need role models as well. And I have had many role models in my life, but as I have looked at the life of Joseph, in a, in a strange way, and I hope you can kind of know where, what I mean by this, but I almost feel like I sort of gained, not just a role model, but almost gained a friend. You become so, um, 
I've looked looked into the life of I've looked into his life so much that you almost you almost fe- feel like you kind of know the man. Whereas when I when I was asked initially to speak on Joseph, my mind first of all went to the Joseph of Technicolor Dreamcoat. I didn't even really, and then I realised, hold on, December, it's gonna be it's gonna be this Joseph. But it, it, it's it's curious how we we sideline we sideline him, or at least I, I have done. Um, but yet his life is, is a beautiful example of, of obedience and faithfulness. Just to break with a bit of an odd story as well, we're talking about divine interruptions. Joseph's life going fine, all of a sudden, wife-to-be pregnant. What, what an interruption. And very mundane story, but I went out not long ago. You've probably all been there. One of those nights, nobody wants to cook dinner. Um, Probably I'm more guilty at that, but said, look, do you want to go out and get chips, right? So again, very mundane story, but I went out to get some chips. But then I had this profound thought when I was out to get chips. And I thought, could you imagine if Jesus came back right now, blazing glory, sky splits. But at the same time, I thought to myself, deep down, I actually just kind of want to get home and just enjoy the chips. Like, I didn't go... The story's so mundane, but I didn't, it kind of speaks to how we maybe, well, I say we, it's how I, it's how I responded in that moment to what would have been Jesus coming back. You would think, oh yes, how amazing that would be. But there I was just wanting to go back to my mundane life and just satisfy my stomach in that way. But imagine if Joseph had a thought like this. Joseph had a said to the angel, oh, you know, thanks so much of, uh, for the offer of getting to be the adopted father of the saviour of the world, but, but I prefer things to just go back uh, to the way they were. Could you imagine if that was Joseph's response? But he didn't, and that's why um, we can be inspired by him today, because he said yes um, to the interruption. And so we move forward to... Uh, Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And as you very likely know, in, in Luke, it speaks about the census, but in Matthew, he doesn't, doesn't mention that. But Luke, Luke just gives even more details that there was a census. And so, um, as you know, Joseph then had to go back to Bethlehem. Um, and we have the Magi. And so, again, I'm not saying anything that people maybe don't know, but there's possibly hundreds were in this delegation. Okay, we, we think three kings because three gifts, but people think there may have been hundreds that arrived as, as a very large kind of foreign delegation. And so it was enough people certainly to disturb a city and to um, disturb Herod greatly. And just to put this into context as well, you again, you maybe know more about Herod than I do, but King Herod, he had killed his wife, killed his mother-in-law, and killed three of his sons because he was suspicious of their intentions to try and grab power. So Herod, this wasn't the man who, um, this wasn't the man who would roll out the red carpet for a rival king. And I was thinking to myself, if again trying to walk in Joseph's sandals, if I'm Joseph and I've already gone through so much, I don't want people asking Herod all people where his replacement had been born. Um, you have a young wife, an adopted child. It's it's your red flag to a bull. 
and it, and, and it really was um, really quite clear that Herod had no intention of worshipping this rival. Um, and very interesting as well, when we, when we read through the religious leaders, how, how true is it in many ways that they could tell Herod where the Messiah was to be born? And they were able to um, quote from Micah and say, yes, it's going to be Bethlehem. This is where the Messiah is destined to come. They had no trouble recalling the Bible verse. Oops. Um, but it, how interesting is it that, that it was actually those coming from the east, from foreign lands, um, instead of the religious leaders to worship. Um, and I think that can be true today, perhaps for us within the church, but also church leaders as well. Perhaps know things about God, but actually there's no desire to worship there. And so that was a, that was a challenge for me as well. And the question is, have you encountered indifferent people or uh, indifferent people or even hostile people within the church who have their own agenda and they don't have God's agenda at heart. And so, in many ways, history does repeat itself. Um, we move on then to the escape to Egypt. Um, the angel tells Joseph to escape. And in chapter 2, verse 14, it says, So he got up, took his child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. And I was struck that this is an obedient man that we're dealing with. There's no, no messing about. It says during the night. Possibility to encounter robbers, perhaps wild animals, um, and again, this idea of walking in Joseph's sandals. Did Joseph and Mary experience fear, cold, hunger, thirst? Did Jesus cry on the way? Were there tears from the parents? Did they fall on the way to Egypt? Were they bitten by insects? These kind of questions kind of went through my head. We're not told, but this couldn't have been nice. And I don't think there's any guarantee that on this trip, Jesus was impeccably well-behaved. He may not have been. They may have actually encountered cold, hunger, all of those things. Um, and as well, Jesus, uh, Joseph undoubtedly heard about the slaughter around the Bethlehem region. And so there's that, that very well-known story, sometimes called the slaughter of the innocents, where... Herod, to remove a rival, basically just wiped out the baby boys in the Bethlehem region. Just wasn't going to um, take any nonsense. And obviously, if he's prepared to kill three of his own sons, what is it to Herod to get rid of some stranger's kids? Um, really, no, really no big deal, it seems, to Herod to, to take that kind of ruthless action. But what I, again, was then thinking was, how did... Joseph then handle this news? Did he then question God? You've got this adopted child that you're looking after, but there's this slaughter that's happened around you because of your, because of your baby. 
And so following God, as is very evident, brought real hardship to Joseph. And what a burden it was for him to carry these, these things. Um, he can then eventually return to Nazareth. Again, there's a kind of series of dreams. And so we move on then in the story of Joseph. And we're going to focus now on the basically Joseph being a father to Jesus. And so to think of this, to kind of almost imagine, um, Joseph would have probably taught Jesus to tie his sandals to use the tools of the trade. They may have walked, talked, worked, and laughed together. And it was possibly in, I went one slide too quick there, but the, uh, what was on the slide before and, um, was a picture of a city called Sephoris, which was only about six kilometers from Nazareth. And it was one of Herod's sons in 4 BC. He had selected it as the provincial capital for his government in Galilee. So could Jesus and Joseph, maybe working as kind of stonemasons, come carpenters, could they have worked in somewhere like this, walking that six kilometers back and forth regularly for work? Perhaps quite likely. Um, but I thought, imagine just five minutes with Joseph. Imagine were he to walk into the room today to hear him describe what this would have been like to raise Jesus. What really stood out to him about his adopted son? Was it his prayers? Was it hearing Jesus pray? Was that the thing that always stuck with him? Or was it his, was it Jesus' love for his father, what, I just wonder if we had five minutes with Joseph and he could just really tell us what was it about Jesus that just stood out to him so much. Um, and so then the story continues and I, and I didn't put it up on the screen, but we have Jesus then being lost in the Passover crowds, that very well-known story about Mary and Joseph leaving the city, both thinking that Jesus was in their care or in the, others, in the others' care. And he was left at the temple asking questions. And then Joseph really falls out of the story. And we don't, we don't really hear what happened to him. And so I, I, just with my kind of curious mind, I was just, there's so many things I would love to know. What were Joseph's final words? We don't know. There's just those types of things that we would love to have, but don't have. There's just so many unanswered questions about that end period of Joseph's life. And so then bringing things more to a close after we've considered so much of the, the risks and the hardship that Joseph has, has gone through. Um, I had a, an experience, my little baby's at the back there it, being hoisted up, but uh, Boaz was um, in the pram and I was just minding my own business. I think I had my headphones on. Can't remember exactly, I probably did. And out of nowhere, and this was in, hold on, this, this was in November, so I think, it, yes, a couple of weeks back, a wasp landed in the pram and kind of proceeded to move its way up on Boaz like this here. So 
without even really thinking, I went to grab this wasp and crush it with my hand. Again, reflex, just thinking, no, I'm going to get rid of this. And as it was kind of proceeding up here, I went to, and I think I kind of partly grabbed, partly scooped and got it away. But the reason why I tell that story is because of my, because of my love for my child, in that moment, I didn't have to kind of stand there and think, should I take a risk to help him or, or not take a risk? Because I love him, it was, I, I was almost unable to do anything else in the moment. And so it got me thinking about Joseph as a man who loved God and his obedience flowed from his reverence and his love for God. And Joseph, as we've gone through and considered, he really did risk it all. He risked his safety. He risked his reputation, which I actually think would have been a particularly good reputation. His good name, as we would say. And we don't even have all the details of the full hardships that he faced. As I spoke before about the cold, the hunger, perhaps maybe hair turning grey because of the stress of the having to flee to Egypt. We just don't have the full details. But what I was conscious of is that he did experience these extreme stresses in a real way. And so I suppose I'm thinking then how do we how do we respond and how do I respond to a story like this? And I was thinking about just taking stock of, you know, what is the state of your heart in this moment? And again, I'm not asking that just to project onto you. It's also a question that I'm asking myself. But as we receive this story and consider our, our hearts and, and whether we're able to um, fully enter into the story and the things that, that, that were being told. Um, and I got to thinking as well about like what could be holding you back and what could be holding me back from being braver and more faithful in your walk with God? And what's, what's stopping me from being a Joseph? Because being completely honest, I don't feel I'm at this level of obedience and faithfulness, not, not even close if I'm being, being completely honest. Are you afraid of what people might say if you discuss Jesus or discuss this story? I know my, my wife, who's had to leave with the baby, she regularly reminds me of how, I don't know how to frame this, I am almost partic- um, very aware of people's perception of me and it's, and it's taken Helen to say, why do you care what people think? Why do you? And this, this conversation comes up so much with me. And so I'm someone who's very aware of what people think of me in, in, way, in ways that I probably wouldn't have realized had Helen not continually kind of reminded me of this. And perhaps you can relate to that as well. Or maybe, 
or, or maybe not to the same extent. Um, or maybe you're struggling with doubt. Or maybe you're fearful of the loss of control. If you really did give a yes to this story and what God has done through Jesus, uh, Jesus maybe, maybe you're a little bit fearful of the loss of control. Where would your life go? What hardships might you endure? Or perhaps you're, you're satisfied with the life that you have, by and large, and you don't want to go shaking it up. You don't want to go kind of stirring up trouble for yourself when life's actually reasonably good. You're maybe not given a full yes to God in, in the way that Joseph has, but at the same time, you're, you're, you're basically satisfied. Or maybe, maybe you see yourself as unworthy or unloved by God, and therefore that, that's a bit of a block to you in fully receiving what God has for you. And again, I've thrown out lots, lots of different questions there. Um, But another, just to add, is, or, or maybe there's one thing that you kind of feel like when I have this one thing, whatever it might be, then I can kind of fully give myself to God. But until, until that one thing comes, I can't fully really give my yes. I don't know what that one thing for you might be. I, I've had something kind of like that in my life. But... There could be a block that you have that, that I don't have. So again, I don't mean to be generic, but it, it almost inevitably does, be, uh, does become that a little bit. But what I, what I was so conscious of for myself was um, the need to seek a heart that, that loves and reveres God. And so that's the need to seek after a heart that loves and reveals God so that it, that it flows from the heart. So that just like grabbing the wasp, when it comes to that moment in your life where you need to either be brave for God or just recoil back into just your normal or, or fearful response, that you, you kind of, it flows from the heart and you're obedient. And so I'm going to end just with a prayer and there's, there's a couple of opportunities in the prayer just to respond um, And so I would, I'll obviously welcome you to do that, but I'll, I'll, just, I'll just begin the prayer. And so obviously, as you would normally do, just either um, bow your eyes or keep, uh, bow your eyes, close your eyes or bow your head. If not, that's completely fine. Um, Heavenly Father, Thank you for your word, which sustains us and draws our hearts to you. We come to you asking that you'd help to make us ready to receive you, ready to love you, ready to revere you as Joseph did. Help us to be bold for you, to prize you above reputation and comfort. Help us to be bold for you, to prize you above reputation and comfort. In our hearts, in this moment, we just lift up our praise to you. And I, I thought just to maybe pause for a little moment, just to, just in your hearts. And of course, you could say something out loud if you wanted to. Um, but just going to take a moment just to praise God for, the, for his goodness.
And in our hearts, we lift up our challenges and our burdens. In our hearts, we lift up to you, God, our challenges and our burdens. So just in this next time, just anything that is is just weighing you down at this moment, just bring it up to the God who loves you. Yes, Lord, we ask for boldness in in all these areas. Thank you for your rescue, Lord. Thank you that our sin sin need not be a barrier anymore because of the the gift of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I'd just like to um, just really thank you all for uh, listening. And I hope, um, perhaps as I have, you come away just maybe just having got just a bit of a greater sense of just what uh, what a role model Joseph is for us all.